Hi everyone, I'm David Green. Welcome to episode four of series four of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. As Anna Tavis, our guest on the podcast today, wrote her landmark HBR article with Peter Capelli. Agile isn't just for tech anymore. It's transforming how organizations hire, develop, and manage their people. It's also transforming how HR interacts with the workforce. From doing things to employees, to designing programs and technology with and for employees. In many ways, Agile is the backbone of efforts to design, understand, and improve the employee experience. As a brief intro to my guest, Anna Tavis is a Clinical Associate Professor of Human Capital Management at New York University and the editor at People and Strategy, a journal for HR executives. In our conversation, Anna and I discuss what Agile HR means and why it is becoming increasingly important. We look at the skills, mindset, and methodologies needed to be successful. Anna also talks about examples of how Agile is being employed by companies such as IBM and Adobe in HR. And we also look into the crystal ball like we do with all our guests and ponder what the role of HR will be in 2025. This episode is a must listen for everyone in HR, particularly those leading efforts in employee experience, people analytics, and other leadership roles. Before we get started, a brief word from our sponsor for Series 4 of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Support for this podcast is brought to you by Perceptix. Perceptix is the leading enterprise employee survey and people analytics platform, providing deep insights into an organization's people and giving leaders the data and insight they need to improve the employee experience, predict challenges in the business, and drive strategic action to deliver improved business performance. As a strategic partner to hundreds of global enterprises, including nearly one-third of the Fortune 100, Perceptix is challenging the status quo to help people and organisations thrive. Learn how your people data can be used to drive strategic action and improve business outcomes today by visiting perceptix.com. That's perceptix.com. Welcome to the Digital HR Leaders Podcast, Anna. It's great to have you and thank you for your time. Uh, So just a quick introduction really into your background and what you're doing now, because there's so many different things that you're doing. It's so exciting to talk to you live, David. I read your um, newsletters and um, feel like you're in my life every day of my of, uh, <laughs> of, of my professional life. Well, you apologies know. for that. No, 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 no problem at all. You know, my background, I think the interesting thing is no one really wakes up one day after high school and says, I want to be in the people analytics. Uh, so I kind of stumbled into people analytics along you know, my professional path. I started out, believe it or not, as a linguist. So I started, studied multiple languages, linguistics, everything from psychology to language disorders and everything associated with kind of language acquisition. Very interesting discipline. And uh, from there, you know, ended up somehow in psychoanalysis looking at Mm. uh, the early 20th century emergence of psychoanalysis translated, my first publications were translations of first women psychoanalysts uh, from German into English. And so the long story short, I became interested in 
the business as a part of cultural landscape. Uh, I was in academia, initially got my PhD from Princeton, wrote a book on Rainer Maria Rilke, published, was teaching successfully, and then realized that I, my interest was really in more in doing things than just researching things. Before I left academia, I did get an executive MBA in international business, just decided to kind of finish off my formal education and went into business. And that's where I ended up in Europe. I was the head of um, organizational effectiveness for Motorola, living in your neighborhood in uh, in the UK, yep. outside of London. Uh, from there, I was recruited into Nokia and spent some really, really interesting, exciting years in Helsinki um, as the head of global talent for Nokia, and then returned to New York into financial services right before the financial crisis. <laughs> I joined AIG, the right place at the right time, and um, as you know, the hell broke out with uh, financial services. But, you know, whatever we think experience is, it was a very interesting experience. So having spent a few more years in financial services after we kind of climbed our way out of the hole, yeah. you know, I got a call from um, Columbia first and then NYU saying, you know, you've got your academic background, you already have put a few quite a few years in the business, check the boxes, why don't you come in and help us in professional education space? And that's where I am now at NYU. I'm the head of um, human capital management department and uh, very excited to be using all of my skills and experiences, join you and the community uh, on this path to um, transform each other. And tell us a little bit about the program that, that, that you've put in place, because it's very interesting, particularly to me. I actually. know, I know. It's, um, you know, one of the th things I decided to do coming into a fairly traditional HR department. You know, we have a lot of students. It's kind of running day in and day out. We have Sherm-aligned curriculum. Um, that's kind of the program I inherited. And my first thought was, you know, this is not what the future of HR mm. is going to be. I really have no place of teaching my students who are going to be professionals 20 or some of them 30 years from now what I've done. It's not doing them any justice. Let's look at the cutting edge. How do I help my students prepare for that future? And actually do a service to the businesses who are looking at the market and not finding people with the right skills. So I sat down to work right away and within a year uh, created um, the first uh, master in science degree at least in the United States, specifically dedicated to uh, people analytics and technology. And what's really amazing, David, that program was approved by New York State, which is a pretty tough, I would say, accreditation body in three weeks. Wow. No one has heard about the speed of you know educational bureaucracy moving so fast, but the program was approved and we are launching 2019, the fall, our first cohort of students. And uh, the interest is coming from all over the world. We're seeing um, a lot of Asia, we see, we're seeing Middle East, as well as 
um, across the United States because it's going to be a blended program where we're not just limiting ourselves to uh, delivering in-person yeah. uh, content. And um, I can talk about it more because my main challenge about creating this program was who is going to help me design the content? Because that's the most challenging part. No mm. one really knows what it's going to be. So I knock on the door of our neighbors down um, in Westchester and um, IBM. I know Diane Gerson very well. And in fact, she's one of my, um, I would say, role models in HR. And I look at how she transformed um, the HR department at IBM. And, and lo and behold, I found a lot of PhDs who actually were thinking about the same things I was thinking and sitting at IBM. So really uh, borrowed a lot of those talents from mm. Diane. Diane, she blessed um, the uh, partnership. And that's how our curriculum came together. Oh, we're going to probably talk a little bit more about some of the work that Diane and the team are doing at IBM totally, a bit absolutely, later. Totally, totally. Um, well, what's interesting, I think, is you said it only took three weeks to get a, get a certified or get approval, which is in incredible. So we did some research at, at My HR Future in this year, and we asked HR professionals, what are the skills that you want to learn? And they actually, they didn't come back with comp and ben or, or recruiting or, or, or stuff like that. They came back with people analytics, strategic workforce planning, um, design thinking, um, digital technologies, plus some softer skills around stakeholder management, consulting, and influencing. Mm -hmm. And that seems to lend itself to the, what you're creating with the course at NYU. Totally, totally. I didn't tell you about the second program I created that is taking a little longer for accreditation, but it will be in executive coaching or consulting. Okay. Another master's degree, which I think goes really well with analytics and technology delivering the data, the evidence, and then you have to have those consulting skills to be able to deliver. Of course. You're obviously, you're passionate about this space. You've been championing Agile HR. And there was a great article that, that you and Peter Capelli collaborated on, I think it's just over a year ago yeah. now, in, in Harvard Last Business year. Review. Mm -hmm. It was on the cover called HR Goes Agile. Not everyone would have had the, uh, the pleasure of reading it, but do dig it out. We hear a lot about Agile in HR, but what does it actually mean and what does HR need to do to adopt some of this methodology? Yeah, what a great question. i tell you a little bit how we got to Agile, because I think it's really relevant, for, especially for HR. We got it by doing a whole ton of research and writing as well on performance management. You know, the, the organizations were ripping out their old waterfall-style performance management systems and putting in those frequent check-ins, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, what was really interesting to me uh, coming into that space was that very few organizations realized that they were just responding to the agile methodology that was already introduced across the organization. They just felt, you know, if you talk to um, Donna Morris from Adobe, who kind of made a big splash in the a newspaper saying we're we're changing our performance management system and kind of that became the trigger. Um, so what we realized was that a lot of HR processes were changing to that accelerated sprint style delivery, but there was very little understanding of where it, it, it was coming from. 
And so looking at, oh, again, performance management and then some other processes that were beginning to align with a much more incremental, iterative way of working, we realized that definitely it has to do with digitization of HR. And uh, if you ask me about what agile means to HR now, I see kind of three tracks. First of all, and that's sort of outside of those three tracks, I think a lot of, a lot of people use HR metaphorically. They don't really understand that there's a, a specific methodology that is associated with it. And there are some tools that are enabling agility in organizations that need to be introduced before we even start talking about agility. So agility for organizations and, and HR means a lot more than just being nimble and responsive, whatever it means to different people, right? Mm. So, um, so the first track that I think is probably gotten a lot of traction in various HR organizations is that software development template. Scrum teams, Kanban, all of the sprints, etc. And it started out, not surprisingly, in technology companies like Adobe, IBM, uh, because guess what? The business has been 90% working mm. in that agile space, and the businesses started to create their own alternative evaluation systems that w- were outside of a traditional HR process. The second group of companies that jumped on board of agility, especially in performance management space, were professional services. And that had to do with billable hours, et cetera, and return on investment. Deloitte, Accenture looked at what it cost their partners to take time off to be completing, you know, performance evaluations that no one really cared about. So all of that kind of started in that space. And I feel that in terms of where different industries are on agility, it probably are still technology companies leading and financial services are kind of second or following them. So the first track is agility through kind of digitization and software. The second, and it's more up and coming, I don't think we've, I haven't seen, outside of individual examples, a kind of a wholesale introduction of ONA technology, uh, organizational network analysis, because I think that's kind of a systemic view of how organizations really uh, work in yep. understanding what at where points of accelerations are, who the people are who are really enablers of that speedy delivery. And it all has to do with change management. How do we accelerate change? So I think that's an, uh, the second kind of track where you can take agility. And the third one I find has to do with design, you know, because I think the influencer for that would be behavioral economics, et cetera, where we're looking at organizations by design, understanding that if you put the wrong tracks in the sand, you know, people are going to be just not, we're not going to be able to deliver to your expectations or to the, you know, to the required speed of change. And a lot of what has to do with org design. So I think those three other elements and when I, uh, and I probably should write something 
um, volume two on um, Agile HR and see where the opportunities are. But still, in the majority of organizations, there still needs to be education around what agile is it's not just being responsive or wanting to be responsive let's talk about some of that education that hr needs and skills they perhaps need to acquire and maybe it's a slightly different mindset as well you know what advice would you say you you know you're an hr leader or you you meet an hr leader they they're actually passionate about putting some of this stuff in place where should they start where they should start you know david i think what works best if hr looks inside their own organizations. Where I saw success, obviously getting ideas about what needs to be done and educating themselves kind of in a more general fashion, but from the change management perspective, look at what everyone else, other functions are doing inside your own organization. Where I see success is if HR partners with IT, Mm. if HR partners with marketing or customer service and actually breaks down of what uh, creates success in those functions. Because in the majority of cases, in every organization, there will be pockets of innovation that are already operating in the agile way. And I think it's a combination of educating uh, yourself on what's going on generally externally but really grounding yourself in what works for my culture and who are potential allies in my organization who can actually help us move um, in that direction and i I can give you multiple examples of uh, just most recently i was in toronto with uh, bmo uh, bank of montreal very very impressed with that organization And that's exactly what they did. They took an HR leader uh, out of the HR function, uh, created a a separate function on a a transformation, cultural Mm -hmm. transformation, and the alignment was across um, uh, IT, some of the the financial services functions that were already looking, customer service, and they created these um, diverse teams and we're learning from each other. And embedding HR people into these either IT groups or customer service groups and the other way around, bringing technologists on the inside of HR worked uh, beautifully for them. Um, I think they were able to um, move really fast on the the curve of uh, transformation because they were very authentic to what their organization could do. And it's, it's quite frustrating when you see that you know, a lot of companies, they'll, they'll look at things like culture, look at things like employee experience, and almost keep it within HR. And you're only really going to create a culture is if you work across functions, bringing different skill sets, different parts of the organizations. You said learn from them as well. You know, and employee experience is another thing you know, where we actually need to design employee experience with employees, and for exactly. employees rather than, and you've seen good examples of, of, of that as well. Is that something that Bank of Montreal have been yes, doing? Yes, they've been doing that as well. And the, the other thing I am seeing, you know what doesn't happen often enough, David? And I think it's HR fault as well, that we are not invited mm. into these innovative initiatives. 
it has to go both ways. Not just we bring technology or customer service or marketing communications, whatever, on the inside of HR function to try to think ourselves out of the box. But we also need to parachute ourselves into other functions. And oftentimes, I don't think that uh, those functions are thinking of HR as potential ally and accelerator of what they need to be Mm. doing. And to give you an example of the successful merger of these different skill sets, would be, for example, the same, you know, um, Donna Morris at uh, Adobe. She has been made, somebody who was the head of employee experience is now the head of customer experience as well because of what she was able to accomplish on the employee experience side. The business saw transferable skills to improve the customer experience as well. So, I, I think that we're not seeing enough of that back and forth yeah. in, in the validation that HR has really made it and joined the club will be that invitation coming in from other functions. So you mentioned Donna Morris at Adobe, and obviously we, we talked briefly about Diane Gerson at IBM as well earlier. You know, a lot of the initiative is coming from the leader, um, the HR leader, you know. What are the qualities that, that Diane and Donna and others like them have that, that other HR leaders could, could learn from? Um, obviously, um, they're visionary leaders uh, for who they are. But I think what's really interesting for us is to kind of break down their tactics um, because we can talk on, at a high level and th- these are the only outcomes. But what's really amazing about those two women um, CHROs that they actually deliver in the most difficult environment of transformation, you know, uh, creating business case to their CEOs and uh, earning the respect of all different businesses in their big organizations. So what I think works for both Diane and Donna so well is that they trust the data. I think they are both data-driven, evidence-driven leaders uh, to be kind of consistent with the theme of this podcast. Let me break down an example. I was just doing an interesting study again on the digital transformation of performance management with MIT, and I took another look at Diane's strategy, Diane Gerson, IBM strategy. And it turns out that she really operated at two different levels. Oftentimes, HR thinks that we need to get the senior management approval for anything we do, et cetera, et cetera. And Diane understood that, but she also was very, very aware that she would not get that approval if she doesn't get all of her people on the same page. Yeah. So her strategy actually didn't start with going to the most senior uh, business leader and trying to convince them to fund, to sponsor, et cetera, et cetera. Her strategy started with earning the trust of her organization. Again, taking the example of performance management, uh, clearly, you know, the engineers working in an agile, on the agile teams, et cetera, had absolutely no use and time for performance management. On top of that, this also came with a distrust of the HR organization that they felt was disconnected didn't really listen to their feedback, et cetera, et cetera. So she had a whole 
new approach toward engaging her main constituents, all the 400,000 people in the IBM universe. Mm. And, and the way they did it, they did um, multiple um, design thinking sessions. They introduced employee listening. They collected a ton of data on the sentiment of the organization where, you know, uh, they understood where the pain points were. And in their redesign, they also didn't go directly and immediately to the senior management. They actually took the pulse of the organization, what their response was of the people, et cetera. And, um, and they made a particular effort to earn the trust and prove to her groups that their feedback matters. Yeah. In fact, Diane shared that um, when negative feedback came in, they made a point of reaching out to those people who chose to identify themselves and having deeper conversations, trying to find out where the frustrations came from. So that whole massive effort that she put in really earned her the trust. So when she went to the senior leaders for approval and sponsorship, she already had the full support of her organization. But even then, to those groups, she made a data-based case mm. where she could demonstrate through the evidence in a very logical way why that change was necessary. So two-track strategy that really addressed the need to bring the entire organization on board of what was going to change. So the change was went much smoother than the traditional kind of top-down change. And, and the senior management saw the already the proof of um, a concept, uh, right, um, what she was able to do. So I think that having kind of the intelligence of and responsiveness to different segments of the organizations, understanding the complexity of their jobs, um, unfortunately, too many senior HR people are only looking up and managing yeah. up. And that's where a lot of the initiatives derail, and and eventually it would derail their careers as well. So my recommendation would be, you know, uh, look at the entirety of your constituents and and create, you know, specific segment specific strategies and don't think that by winning the senior uh, senior leadership you are going to um close the deal. That's not going to be um that shouldn't be the goal. Yeah, as you say, he mobilized the workforce and you use the data to actually make help help you make totally. the case. Totally. Both the data that the, the um, employees help you gather and collect and experiment and give you feedback and all the information you need to really create still a minimal viable product, but something that is going to work. And then you bring that data to the senior management, and that's what they want to see. Mm. And if the employees have helped you create the exactly. MVP then they're more likely to want to actually use it. Exactly, exactly. And that's where there's a, there's a significant return on that investment. And, and um, you know, and that's where I think it's, it's really important. As I said, it's not just the vision, it's the tactics, how you go about it. So performance management was almost the entry point, certainly at Adobe and at IBM for, for 
using agile methodologies for HR programs. Mm -hmm. Where are the other HR programs where this methodology is being applied as well now? Um, mm -hmm. So the kind of that doing it with employees rather than right, to right. You know what I've seen again. It varies um, in different organizations. Um, first, there are a, a few leaders in the agile space that kind of went wholesale. Uh, entire organization goes agile. Um, that could be IBM is the example, and ING. ING is also um, uh, a bank in Nev Netherlands, the global bank. Um, they were very um, um, determined to turn the whole organization into the agile way of working. Right now, I think they're reporting that they're about 80%. Okay. Um, the other, culturally, I think Agile works really well, and that's my experience with Nokia also, I think, is a proof of what I'm seeing is the um, Northern Europeans um, seem to be culturally more, you know, um, um, uh, more flatter organizations, yeah. more collaborative, uh, consensus-oriented. Um, there's a lot of... Um, feedback that's being very much more direct and so I'm seeing for example I mean Spotify is a, and again a, in a different industry but a poster child of this agile uh, entire organization working agile for bigger companies that are trying to experiment and feel their way into the agile space um, the uh, functions HR functions that um, are easily much more easily transformed into this agile working would be talent acquisition, yeah. uh, learning and development. Um, clearly, again, these areas are much more technology-based and evidence-based. There's a lot more data generated in the front end as well as, um, you know, in the learning and development space with um, all the tools available to us. Uh, and um, on the on the other side of the coin, you know, the functions that are most reluctant and maybe more uh, cautious and conservative about this will be definitely rewards and compensation and benefits, specifically financial compensation. And that is for a lot of companies that would be a real um, deterrent sort of if they have, if they don't know how to resolve their reward systems, and they're unwilling to, you know, to experiment and try different, different ways, even if it's not just um, uh, financial compensation, but looking at the total rewards portfolio, I don't think they're going to be in the long run successful because we know how important incentives are. And what you incentivize, what kind of incentives incentives you put in, that that those will be the behaviors you're going to get. So um, I think that that's the main challenge for those companies that are uh, are trying to kind of um, experiment on the on the in the, in the on the small projects, but the incentive systems prevent people from really going agile. It's interesting, a lot of the organizations that you they mentioned, IBM, Adobe, Spotify, all the CHROs there, uh, Katerina, for instance, uh, yeah. Berg is, has, is actually a guest on one, an upcoming podcast. Um, they're all data-driven. Yeah. Um, you know, what is the importance of data and people analytics 
and its link to going agile, as it were? Oh, I think it's absolutely central to the agile project, period, um, because you cannot, um, you know, the agile doesn't operate in a hierarchical political structure. It is about getting frequent feedback, really looking at what's not working, what's working for what it is, not for what you want it to be. And uh, and really having the authority and, and, and autonomy to change things um, based on the feedback, based on evidence. Yeah. And so these are simple but very fundamental and critical elements of um, agile operation. And it's not just about going about the motions of setting up uh, Kanban um, transparency or going scr uh, scrum and uh, building scrum teams and training people on agile if you are not willing to uh, look at the evidence and act on it you're not going to move any faster than you moved before doesn't matter how much training you're going to put in place because one of the challenges is Data literacy of HR professionals is not, you know, not normally it's not normally that high in most organisations, and a lot of the educational programmes out there that's bringing in the next generation of HR professionals also have an absence of uh, analytics and, and data, which is something that you're changing yeah. uh, with the the programme at NYU. Um, you obviously we talked about how you, that's it's recently launched it, and obviously got the first cohort coming in in 2019. Can you tell listeners a little bit more about the program and some of the some of the areas that are going to be covered in it? Yes. Be really so I think what's really really important um, is that we're not just uh, uh, educating engineers. You know, we are not necessarily building um, a lot of coding capability in in HR because we don't we do not think that necessarily is uh, the center of of the HR agile project. First of all, we definitely there's definitely a level of literacy that we we need to build, and that is not necessarily the master's level, right? Mm -hmm. We we created David a boot camp. Um, most people are talking to us about the program, and in principle, who are very interested in developing the skill sets, have sort of a phobia against numbers, and you know what? HR is getting beaten up uh, by a lot of folks for not being um, numbers-oriented. But I also blame kind of the whole culture of how numbers were taught, how they were delivered. And for people who are more, you know, psychology-oriented and creative, et cetera, it just didn't allow the, you know, the connection. But that space is changing so radically, mm. um, you know, with... Um, data visualization that's coming in and in more uh, brain-friendly ways of teaching these types of disciplines, I think we're going to see people are a, I mean, a lot more, have a lot more access than before, fewer barriers to entry. So, so what we're doing, we're breaking down that kind of Chinese wall that was created be between what HR does and what numbers um, mean. Yeah. Um, so, um, and, and to your point, a lot of it has to do with a mindset. And uh, 
um, just to um, just to, to give you uh, a point of comparison, how much it is a part of culture than actual capability. Uh, when I uh, because I, I grew up in, in in the Soviet Union and started my career in Russia as no career, just I was in school in Russia, and it was the first time when I got to the United States that I heard that the girls were not good in math. That was just such a big shock to me because, you know, the first women mathematicians, there were a lot of women mm. in sciences and, and math, et cetera, et cetera. So it is a cultural phenomenon, I think. And so that's what we're trying to break down. Second thing, um, what we're trying to do is um, find... Um, you know, uh, a, a ramp, um, um, a ramp into um, a much more maybe um, analytical disciplines. Uh, but um, by, for example, I will be teaching uh, organizational behavior class, which will have significant elements of data in them, yeah. because even behavioral sciences right now, based on you know, getting this evidence, uh, working with technology. I look at the whole neuroscience, et cetera, et cetera. So, so getting people into the space with through a familiar pathways, but getting getting them to understand that they can use, they need those tools now everywhere. And I think once we develop that level of comfort in the first introductory courses. Um, we are going to, um, you know, then put them into a much more rigorous training. But we are revising. This is where I think um, what's really going to be very important for us is to, uh, to, to introduce very different instructional methods and instructional tools. And technology is helping us, again, with visualization, videos, creating communities, using all of those a user-friendly, um, uh, you know, uh, student-centric yeah. uh, methods of teaching these disciplines that bring much broader population into the field of analytics and technology. And the other thing is, and that's my particular theory of the case, is that technology is going to meet us where we are. In fact, because technology is developing so much faster, um, and the humans are not, mm. that we are going to actually get technology come to us much faster than we catch up with technology. So as we're developing this program, you know, I see that technology is going to help us get the majority of us out of this, again, um, a space of, um, a space of um, you know, fear, anxiety, and uh, um, you know, some bias against the, uh, the numbers and evidence. So obviously, quite a unique background. You've, you've spent time as an HR leader, and obviously now you're helping educate the next generation of HR leaders, and also the current generation, I guess, yeah. as, as well. What excites you most about HR when you look towards uh, the future? I mean, what excites me most is that the possibility and opportunity for HR people to really lead the business because I and the reason I'm in HR is because I think that this function is 
so critical mm. to the whole business agenda and and so understated and underserved in terms of the tools that we had, the roles we played, and even the people we attracted. Yeah. So all of that is going to change. We're going to get the tools. We're going to get, you know, um, the the roles. Um, businesses are going to be looking to us to help accelerate, you know, their agenda. And we're seeing more and more talent coming into their into the HR that do not discover HR again on their graduation from college. But when they come to organizations and see what HR mostly can do, we see tremendous um, talent coming into the function. Yeah, I think it's an exciting time. But what about any worries? What are your concern? What's your biggest concern or concerns about where things are going? Or yeah, and the concern I think we we probably all share is that if we do not jump at this opportunity if we do not take advantage of what's available to us right now when we still control the kind of access to talent when business still listens to us even though we're using in most cases outdated tools um, but we still make decisions about people that if we do not live up to the need of the business and the expectations of us somebody else is going to step in and take that role. And I certainly don't want this to go to robots or some machines no. because, as we know, it's that robots and machines are going to deliver information to us, but the decisions, at least for the foreseeable future, are going to be with the, with the people and with the humans and uh, hopefully HR. So I I am at times worried about losing that opportunity if we do not step up and bring the right talent to the to the business well let's let's assume we do let's assume that the, that that we we do step up to the plate um if we do where do you see hr in 2025 and i know it's not that far away but let's say you know we start getting more agile using data more where do you see hr in 2025 i think and this is my hope that we're going to see more uh, Diane Gerson's and um, and Donna Morris's. Um, we will see HR heroes. We are going to see the business press uh, writing about CHROs. That we're going to get the visibility and recognition, and that will create sort of a tidal wave of new talent coming in because we all need our heroes. Yeah. And uh, we have not seen those heroes, you know, uh, portrayed. Let's let's make a a movie about CHRO and see how that goes. Uh, that which is not going to be uh, something. And you know, cast um, some big name star, Lady Gaga, playing <laughs> playing a CHRO of a company. Um, because we we do we do not really see those positive role models around us. So I hope that by twenty and and by the way, thank you for doing these podcasts because that's part of creating that collective cultural 
sort of uh, environment where these talents are going to grow. Um, so I think I think that's where we need to do a lot of work. And let's by 2025, let's be more visible and more attractive to the right kind of talent and prove ourselves to the business. That's all achievable, I think, by 2025. Mm. Yeah, we're seeing starting to see it happening in some companies. Hopefully, we'll see it more widespread. Exactly. Exactly. Anna, thank you very much for being a guest on the show. Uh, how can people stay in touch with you? Uh, LinkedIn is a good place to find me. And obviously, um, at NYU, I am at NYU. We're going to be rolling out the programs. And we're, we're going to be doing a lot of great things. Um, and hopefully, in collaboration with David Green and, and the company and the, um, and the community of uh, people analytics professionals. Thank you, Anna. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. You can subscribe via your podcast app of choice. If you did enjoy listening, please do rate the show on your podcast app and share it with your friends and colleagues via social media. We rely on your feedback and support to keep being able to make this podcast. If you haven't already, do check out myhrfuture.com for the latest news and learning on the future of HR. And you can also subscribe to my weekly newsletter there too. That's all for this episode, but please make sure you're tuning in next week when we'll speak to Tanush Kaplashrami, Chief HR Officer at Standard Chartered, on the role the CHRO and HR play in driving employee experience. So don't miss that one, and I'll see you next time.